Hello everyone, I'm back. I really enjoyed the month off that I had, and I thank all of those wonderful persons who did introductions for their favorite episodes during the month of January. I'm happy to say that I'm here just in time for Black History Month, which you know is such an important celebration and commemoration here at Counter Melody. I do want to quickly welcome my newest Patreon supporter, Alexander, and I also want to thank Elliot for once again upping his monthly pledge. It's so greatly appreciated. If you too want to join in and take part in some of the bonus material that I have been posting, I just posted two bonus episodes yesterday, for example, you can go to patreon.com countermelody and make your pledge either yearly or monthly, and you will gain access to all of the bonus material. And I have nearly 100 bonus episodes. I think just yesterday I posted uh, episodes 95 and 96, so... You don't want to miss out. And there's also going to be some wonderful bonus material coming up in the coming month. I've started a series, for instance, that I'm calling Flea Market Favorites that consist of LPs, most of them German, that I have picked up at rummage sales, flea markets, used record shops, through the mail, sometimes even discarded on the street. Yes, It's true, and I've used them on the podcast. Anyway, I'm doing episodes that feature recordings such as those that were much less widely distributed uh, outside of Germany. And I also have some really interesting supplementary material related to some of the featured artists this month. I have a theme for my Black History Month episodes this year, It is, for want of a better term, Forgotten Divas, and it features mostly opera and classical singers, but also a couple jazz singers that really have captured my fancy. So do keep your eye out for the forthcoming episodes. I also will continue my listeners' favorites. I have two people who have volunteered to do episodes for me that will be repostings of favorite episodes of theirs that I have published over the course of this podcast, which I'm happy to say is thriving. And now that I've had a month off, I'm really ready to go with this week's special. Oh, and I've slightly revised the season five theme music, which you are about to hear. Same music, different spoken introduction. Hope you like it. Here we go. Hello, my dear listeners. You found your way to Counter Melody, and I couldn't be more delighted to welcome you to my podcast. Once again, and as always, I'm your host, Daniel Gundlach, and I'm here to present to you the finest exponents, both renowned and less well-known, of the art of song. Sometimes it just seems as if the world has turned completely upside down, but it is my fervent hope, even in these difficult times that the artists I present here may brighten our path with their luminous voices and inspire us on our search toward a better and more hopeful future. And now, 
this week's episode. I'm so thrilled to present to you today a singer with whom I first became acquainted just this past fall when I heard her in a live recording of Respighi's opera La Fiamma, which I featured on my Halloween episode this year. She is the lyric soprano Delcina Stevenson. She was born on the 29th of September, 1933, so just a few months ago she celebrated her 90th birthday. She is the only one of the divas I'm presenting this month who is still with us. And you know, I love this saying that the young people have about giving flowers. And it is my great pleasure to give flowers today to the magnificent Delcina Stevenson. Now let's just lead off with a few excerpts that show her incredible versatility. First of all, I think Delcina Stevenson is pretty much the ideal Mozart voice. I found a couple interviews with her online where she was lamenting the fact that she didn't get to sing as much Mozart back in the 60s and 70s as she would have liked. But she did make one beautiful Mozart recording in the year 1974, which consists of Mozart's Vespere de Dominica and the concert aria A Saint-Ciel Benigne Stelle, the concert aria is readily available on YouTube, and I encourage you to look it up. I want to play for you the Laudate Dominum from the Dominican Vespers. It's a beautiful soprano solo, which shows off all of her virtues. She has the tone of an angel. She has incredible flexibility. She has a beautiful legato line, and she phrases with such musicality, it is sheer and utter delight to listen to this. During her career in opera, she did sing such Mozart roles as Pamina and Fior di Ligi, and you hear what she would have brought to those parts by hearing her sing this aria, Laudate Dominum. The other thing about this recording is that it's not currently available elsewhere on the interwebs. So here it is. Delcina Stevenson with Vincent Mitzelfeld leading the Camerata of Los Angeles Orchestra. Thank you. 
Another thing about Delsina is that she sang beautifully over the course of many, many years, even into her mid-70s. I don't know when exactly this next recording stems from, but it is from later in her career, and she does once again sound like an angel. This is her recording of Oh Sing No More, My Lovely One by Rachmaninoff. In the original Russian, it's set to a text of Pushkin, and it's known as Nepoi Krasavitsa Primnyeh. Here, Delsina is accompanied by T.K. Wang on the violin and Tanya Egens on the piano. One thing that's really remarkable about Delcina Stevenson is that she moved from a lyric soprano repertoire into heavier spinto roles later in her career, and she moved easily and smoothly into this repertoire. The next two examples that I have for you are live recordings of Delcina singing more dramatic operatic parts. Now, I have gone on the record complaining... <laughs> me complain, but complaining about the fact that so many gifted African-American lyric sopranos are pushed into singing the role of Aida solely because of the color of their skin, when they would be much better in roles like Mimi, you name it, roles that are better suited to a lyric soprano. In the case of Delcina Stevenson, I am not going to complain about that because she grew naturally into this repertoire and she had a solid enough technique, and I'm going to talk about her technique in a little bit. But here is a live recording 
from Nevada Opera in October 1981. Not all of it has been published online, and all I could find was the duet between Amonazro and his daughter Aida. This is the scene after she has been cursed by her father, who invokes the ghost of her mother to terrorize her into consenting to betray her lover Radames. First, we hear the Amonasro of Joseph Shore hurl his final curse at her, and then Aida responds, Padre, a costoro schiava non sono. speaking about first encountering Delcina's voice on that recording of La Fiamma that I used on my Halloween episode. And I couldn't help but return to that because she is in such blazing form here. I really wanted to share that with you again. This was from a live recording at Carnegie Hall in December 1987, 
when a concert version of La Fiamma was produced by the Collegiate Chorale under the baton of Robert Bass, which featured in the soprano lead Alessandra Mark and also a pretty amazing cast, James McCracken, Mignon Dunn, and in the secondary soprano role of Monica Delcina Stevenson. And when I heard this voice, my ears just pricked up and I said, who is that? And then I recognized her actually from the recordings that she made in California in the 1970s. So therefore, I knew her name, but I had not yet heard her voice. I'm going to just play a little bit of the scene between the heroine Silvana and her lady-in-waiting Monica. Monica has been carrying on an innocent flirtation with Silvana's stepson, with whom, unbeknownst to Monica, Silvana herself is falling in love. Silvana bursts in upon their encounter and flies into a rage, banishing Monica to a convent in punishment. Monica responds that she is in love with Donello and that she will die if they are separated. Silvana responds, you will not die, but if you remain here, you will die in eternal damnation.
If you want to hear more of this opera, do turn to that episode in which I presented excerpts from the entire opera from about seven or eight different recordings. It's such a fantastic piece. I really consider it to be Respighi's masterpiece. Now, before I go any further, I need to qualify my use of the term forgotten diva. Perhaps it would be better to designate these singers divas who deserve to be as well-remembered as any of their more famous counterparts. But that's a little too wordy, don't you think? I use the term forgotten advisedly, and I urge you all to take it with a grain of salt, because every single artist that I am going to be presenting to you this month is somebody who made a vital and important contribution to the art of song, and who definitely deserve to be given their flowers. Let's talk a little bit more about the life and career of Delcina Stevenson. She was born on the 29th of September 1933 in Kansas, and she grew up in Coffeyville, Kansas, and she has spoken in interviews about what a happy childhood she had. Her mother was a school teacher, and she was also an amateur musician, and Delcina has mentioned that her early training was as a pianist, and there were times, in fact, when she accompanied her mother, when her mother would sing spirituals in public performance and in church. She also mentioned in an interview that I listened to that she was not able to go to the white school that was right nearby their home, but that she had a teacher at the school that she did attend who instilled in her this idea that she had to excel and exceed the accomplishments of any of her white peers in order to gain even the possibility of getting ahead. I remember when I interviewed my friend Janet Williams in the very early days of this podcast, that she spoke of the same thing that was instilled in her by her teacher Camilla Williams, that she simply had to be better so that she could have a chance of actually gaining opportunities that would come more easily to white folk. We may look askance at that now from our perspective, but honestly, it's so important to have a strong work ethic. And certainly, certainly Delcina and Janet and Camilla all possessed that drive, that striving toward excellence that provided the basis for the enormous success that they enjoyed in their respective careers. Delcina also mentioned that if there were opportunities that were denied to them because of their race, her parents and her mother in particular would simply create those opportunities for her and the other black children that her mother taught in school. The sense that I get of Delcina is that she's a very practical person not a person to hold grudges, a person to take things at face value, a person who knows her worth, but also always approaches her work with a sense of humility and deference to the music that she served. 
and these were all qualities that stood her in such good stead. She attended Kansas University, and upon graduation, she married and had a son named Brian. In 1960, the family moved to California, and through a series of connections with people that she had known in Kansas, Delcina found herself, even though she didn't know anyone in California, she found herself connecting with very important musical figures, figures like the pianist and coach and accompanist Gwendolyn Koldowski, and through Koldowski, the great Lotte Lehmann, and anyone who knows the podcast knows the esteem in which I hold Lotte Lehmann. She coached privately with Lehmann and then also attended the Music Academy of the West, where she studied with Marcia Singer, a magnificent French baryton Martin. I've been planning an episode on him for a while. It's going to happen, I swear. <laughs> How often in a podcast episode do I say this? But honestly, I will pay tribute to Singer. I've played him a couple times on the podcast, but he's a very, very important singer and pedagogue. She also found her voice teacher, William Venard, through these connections. And I do believe it is he who provided her with such a strong technique that allowed her to expand naturally into the repertoire that we were listening to earlier. While she was studying with Venard, she received a unique opportunity. He was approached by the makers of the film Dr. Zhivago, who were looking for a soprano soloist at the very last minute to plug into a choral section in the movie in which a soprano solo soared over the rest of the chorus. They simply didn't have anyone, and he recommended her. She went in and, in a very short time, recorded this gorgeous selection, which we are going to hear a little clip of right now. Delcina never received credit for her vocals in this film, but if anyone listened to my Marnie Nixon episode, you know that this was not at all standard practice that singers would receive on-screen credit for their vocal appearances. At any rate, I have to tell you that when I first saw this movie decades ago, I remember this funeral sequence quite well, and I remember hearing that voice and thinking, once again, or for the first time, who is that? And now, decades later, I have the answer to that question. There's absolutely no mistaking the unique timbre of that voice.
1964, she won the Young Musicians Foundation of Los Angeles competition, and shortly thereafter, she also attended the Merrill program of the San Francisco Opera. And of course, I think many of my listeners know that I also attended Merrill in the 1980s, so that's a wonderful connection that I'm very pleased about. In 1966, Delcina won the San Francisco Opera Auditions, and she was mentored by Kurt Herbert Adler. She sang roles with both San Francisco Opera and Western Opera Theater, including Mimi, Pamina, Fiordiligi, and others. She also sang on the main stage, and I have a rare recording of her from the year 1967, in which she performs the role of Irma, one of the seamstresses who are work colleagues of Louise. Yes, the opera is Charpentier's Louise. And in these performances, Arlene Saunders, another podcast favorite, sang the role of Louise, and John Alexander, yet another podcast favorite, sang the role of Julien. We won't hear them in this brief excerpt, but rather we hear Irma's one single moment in the second act of the opera when she describes to her chattering, gossipy friends about the glory of falling in love and of the bewitching nature of the city of Paris, which is the overlying theme of this opera. This performance took place on the stage of the San Francisco Opera in the fall of 1967. The sound is not great, but I'm so pleased to be able to present you something of Delcina Stevenson from that period. Thank you. 
Now I'd like to play you an excerpt from what's probably my favorite of Delcina's recordings. That is of the Bach wedding cantata. No, not Weichet nur, but rather a longer and less well-known piece called O Holder Tag Erwünschte Zeit. This recording's from the year 1972, and as with the Mozart, she is heard under the baton of Vincent Mitzelfeld. This is a wonderful solo cantata. It's remarkable in several ways. First of all, the vocal writing is much more challenging and much more Italianate, one might even say, than in many of Bach's other cantatas. Also, the tessitura is so much higher than in any other Bach cantata that I know of, certainly more so than the other wedding cantata. I'm going to play you a portion of the opening recitative, O Holder Tag, Erwünschte Zeit, leading into the aria, Spielet ihr beseelten Lieder.
Around the time this recording was made, Delcina won a Martha Baird Rockefeller scholarship that allowed her to tour and live in Europe for a brief period of time. She described in one of the interviews I listened to, though, that she had hesitated to take her son with her because she understood that because of language difficulties and because of cultural differences that he might find it too challenging to be living in Germany. And therefore, she was only there for a brief period after which she really felt compelled to return home to be with her son. Going back to California then, she continued her varied activities there. And over the course of her time living in California, she appeared in so many important venues with the Carmel Bach Festival, the Ojai Festival, at the Hollywood Bowl, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And she sang with the San Francisco Symphony, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and in a very interesting little side story, the San Diego Symphony. She describes in another of the interviews how she received a call one morning asking her if she knew the role of Desdemona in Otello. And she responded, well, I know the love duet at the end of Act One. I know the willow scene in the Ave Maria from the last act, but she didn't know the rest of the role. And so that was that. Then they called her back and said, uh, come down, please, to San Diego. Bring a gown and uh, we're going to plug you in because Teresa Stratas is threatening to cancel and you're probably going to have to go on and sing Otello opposite John Vickers. Well, that's exactly what happened. And she describes how they would be cramming the notes for the second and third acts in her dressing room just before she would go on to sing because she didn't know the part. This, I think, gives you some indication of what a strong musician she is as well as a vocalist. Other opera companies with which she appeared were Portland Opera, Utah Opera, we heard that excerpt from Maida at the beginning, Pacific Opera Victoria, with whom she sang both Butterfly and later Tosca as well, and Los Angeles Opera Theater, with whom she sang Butterfly and I'm not sure what other roles. But she also continued her concertizing, and another important initiative that she undertook is that she was a founding member of the Los Angeles Vocal Arts Ensemble. And they made a number of recordings, and I actually got two of them, and I am going to be able to play you two excerpts from two different recordings. In 1984, they did a release of Stephen Sondheim selections, and on that recording, Delcina sings Greenfinch and Linnet Bird from Sweeney Todd. Is it you see? 
I'd like to take a moment here to acknowledge the passing of Sarah Rice, who was the original Johanna in Sweeney Todd. She died a few weeks ago, and I know that she was a close friend of several of my listeners, so I extend condolences to those who held her dear and to those who treasured her singing. This has been a tough month for losses, hasn't it? First, the great Polish contralto Eva Podlesz, followed shortly thereafter by the pop singer and composer Melanie, followed just this week by Cheetah Rivera, someone who, even though she was 91 years old, I think we all imagined would always be there. So let us, I say, offer our flowers to those people as well. Now we'll resume the selections from recordings of Delcina with the Los Angeles Vocal Arts Ensemble. In 1981, the ensemble released a recording of excerpts from Rossini's Sins of My Old Age, or Péché de Vieillesse. At the center of this recording were numerous settings of Rossini to a text by Metastasio, Chiomai vi possa, under the name Musique Anodine, Rossini wrote a number of different settings, all of which could be sung to that text. Then he provided new texts to some of those songs, including this one, which Delcina performs with the pianist Armen Guzalimian, La Fioraia Fiorentina. <laughs> Thank you. 
Once her son entered college, Delcina then moved to New York, where she lived for a number of years. We heard one of the gigs that she had when she was in New York, that excerpt from La Fiamma. A little later, Delcina moved back to Europe, where she concertized as a soloist and also led a group called, appropriately enough, the Delcina Stevenson Singers. I have here a recording from the year 1996 of the Stevenson Singers performing Eugene Hancock's setting of the Lord's Prayer, in which the woman of the hour herself sings the soprano solo, and the piano part is played by Dina Van Driesten. Our Father in against us. 
There are also on YouTube a few live recordings of Delcina singing Artsong. The one that made the greatest impression on me listening to them this last week was of the Johannes Brahms setting of the Heinrich Heine text Der Tod, das ist die Kühle Nacht, which is one of my favorite Brahms songs anyway. She is accompanied on this recording by Tanya Egens. Death is cool night, life is sultry day, dusk now falls, I feel drowsy, the day has wearied me. Over my bed rises a tree in which the young nightingale sings. She sings of nothing but love. I hear it even in my dreams. There's another supreme example on a commercial recording of Delcina Stevenson's prowess as an exceptional musician. That is a recording with the pianist and composer Sharon Davis of three song cycles that she wrote, as well as an extended work. I guess I would call it a cantata for dramatic soprano, clarinet, and piano. The piece is called Though Men Call Us Free. It is a work of 10 minutes in length that uses as its text 
a portion of Oscar Wilde's fairy tale, The Happy Prince. Now, this is a story that has so profoundly affected me in my life. I remember first hearing it on a record when I was a child and just finding it to be the most profoundly moving story I'd ever heard. I'm going to play the central section of this piece. Let me read you the whole text so that you can place the excerpt that I'm playing today within the context of the larger text. In war, the strong make slaves of the weak, and in peace, the rich make slaves of the poor. We must work to live, and they give us such mean wages that we die. We toil for them all day long, and they heap up gold in their coffers, and our children fade away before their time, and the faces of those we love become hard and evil. This is the portion we're hearing today. We tread out the grapes, and another drinks the wine. We sow the corn, and our own board is empty. We have chains, though no one beholds them, and our slaves, though men, call us free. Is it so with all? The question comes. And the answer, it is so with all. With the young as well as with the old, and the women as well as with the men, with the little children as well as with those who are stricken in years. Before we hear the words of the title iterated and reiterated, we hear an elaborate canon for solo clarinet and voice singing a wordless vocalise.
Just as I was about to start recording the narration to this episode, I was contacted by Delcina's son, Brian, and he has provided me with some wonderful information and also some support, and I'm so thrilled that maybe Delcina will even be listening to this episode. That would please me no end, and thank you, Brian, for your support and for reaching out to me when you found out I was doing the podcast. According to Brian, his mother moved back to Southern California in the early 2000s, and for the past 15 years, she has lived in comfortable retirement there. The most recent recording that I have from her was again posted on YouTube. It's the arrangement by Edward Boatner of the traditional spiritual, I Want Jesus and it was recorded in Europe in 1998 with Dina Van Driesten accompanying. been so honored to be able to present this singer to you today. I don't think that anyone will disagree with me that Delcina Stevenson deserves her place in the pantheon of the finest African-American opera and classical singers of the late 20th century. My friend Elliot always teases me that every time I mention a new singer, I say, oh, they're one of my favorites. They're one of my favorites. I certainly do have many favorites, and I'm quite pleased to now include Delcina Stevenson in that list of my favorites. Fond, fond greetings to you, Delcina, though we have not yet met. Thank you, Brian, for facilitating all of this, for reaching out to me, and thank you all for listening. I have a final number that I'd like to close with. It is again a composition by the estimable Sharon Davis. 
It's the final song from her cycle entitled Six Songs on Poems of William Pillin, and it's entitled simply Song. Behind that simple title, there is a world of meaning, an acknowledgement that, yes, there's suffering in the world, but in spite of that, we do all we can to find reasons to rejoice and exult in the world around us. To be sad in the morning is to blaspheme God's shy smile breaking into leaves and lights. In darkness and silence I will be sad, but not in the morning with its angelus of birds and its covenant of blue. Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.